0: On the 18th of May, 2007, the Delhi police found themselves in a relentless pursuit to solve a series of heinous murders that had gripped the city in fear. Echoing the pattern of earlier victims, yet another lifeless body was discovered outside the gates of Tihar Jail. The scene that met their eyes was a grotesque nightmare. The victim had been savagely mutilated, his body cruelly contorted into a fetal position, with both hands and legs brutally severed from his torso. And if that wasn't bad enough, the victim's genitals had also been ruthlessly cut off. During that period, Inspector Sundar Singh Yadav was stationed at the Harinagar police station in Delhi, where he was entrusted with the responsibility of leading a team of four investigators to crack the case surrounding the mutilated bodies outside the walls of Tihara jail. From the very outset of the investigation, Inspector Singh and his colleagues faced many obstacles, and this was exacerbated by the relentless and intrusive presence of the media, which constantly followed them wherever they went. He was aware that the situation was poised to become an embarrassment for the police force, as the pressure to solve the crime was intensifying. Inspector Singh would admit that it was extremely challenging not only because of the media following them around, but also because they were, in a way, failing at their job. The reality was that there was a lack of clues and evidence to do anything, as all they had were two letters penned by the murderer, eerily concealed within the same basket in which the lifeless victims were discovered. So they had to painstakingly examine the letters, but it ultimately led to a modest yet crucial breakthrough. This was the 18th of May, 2007, the same day when the third corpse was discovered. As the hours waned, Inspector Singh and his team received a tip-off that would change everything. In about an hour's time, they would find themselves bursting through the doors of a clinic in northwest Delhi, for they were now certain that the killer was in close proximity. You're listening to heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by OneUp Media. This episode contains scenes of graphic imagery and violence. Listener discretion is advised. Back in 1997, a chilling murder took place in the northwest corner of Delhi, specifically in a neighbourhood called Adash Nagar. According to official police records, the perpetrator of this gruesome act had a prior conviction for burglary and now found himself facing the gravest of charges. Murder. The victim in this tragic case was a male whose body had been dismembered and carelessly disposed of in various locations. This individual was arrested in 1998 but was released four years later in 2002, and the case ended with an acquittal due to insufficient evidence. The police couldn't help but observe a glaring resemblance between the two cases. In both instances, the victims had their hands, legs, head and genitals brutally severed, which mirrors the details of the ongoing investigation they were immersed in. When they examined the murderer's first letter, they realized that he had confessed to committing murders in the past without facing any consequences. This raised serious questions and left them pondering if there was more to this than a mere coincidence. In today's rapidly evolving world, The landscape of criminal investigations has been transformed by the proliferation of smartphones, CCTV cameras, and advanced technology. The reason for this lies in the fact that most criminals today tend to inadvertently create digital footprints. These digital breadcrumbs, which can encompass various forms of evidence, such as call logs, location data, or social media activity, significantly increases the chance of solving crimes. Back in those days, law enforcement in Delhi had to rely on a remarkable network of police informants. These informants were not always police officers. They could just be ordinary people such as street vendors and security guards, but they were always on the ground and on the lookout. Surprisingly, at times, their eyes and instincts proved more effective than even CCTV cameras. This was largely due to the fact that they interacted with a wide spectrum of people every single day. And this allowed them to not only recognize the faces they encountered, but also provide detailed descriptions of physical features. Furthermore, they possessed an uncanny knack for tracking down individuals through their network of connections, which highlights an impressive blend of human intuition that CCTV cameras could never replicate. For Inspector Singh and his team, The next critical move would be to disseminate details about the murderer within their network of informants. And it didn't take long for some news to surface. One of their informants had shared a crucial lead about a doctor who operated a clinic in Azadpur Mandi, located in the northwestern precinct of Delhi. This clinic had reportedly been frequented by a man who closely matched the description they were seeking. At approximately 2pm on that same day, the team set out to visit the clinic. When they arrived, the doorbell chimed as they entered. Inside, they found the doctor seated in his office, the door slightly ajar. The room was adorned with simple furnishings, chairs neatly arranged in a row. As the team entered, the doctor extended a greeting. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How can I help you? I'm Inspector Singh. This is my badge, and these are my colleagues. We're here to ask you some questions regarding a murder investigation. Just when Inspector Singh finished his sentence, the doctor's phone rang. The doctor picked up the phone, and the police couldn't help but notice that the ensuing dialogue sounded clandestine. As they talked, his demeanour grew visibly nervous, as if he chose his words with painstaking care. The minute the call ended, an officer stood up, his question direct and pointed. Was it him, doctor? Was that the murderer you were speaking to? A tense silence engulfed the room, but after a palpable pause the doctor uttered a reluctant yes. Immediately, the doctor was taken into custody and transported to the police station. After intense questioning, he finally revealed a photograph of the murderer and said that his name was Chandrakhan Jha, a father of five whose children had all been born at his clinic. He also admitted that he had been aware of Chandrakhan's criminal history, acknowledging that he had committed previous murders, for which he had faced no consequences. As the tense interrogation continued, the doctor reluctantly confessed that he had planned to meet Chandrakhan at 4pm. However, with 4pm swiftly approaching, it was clear that there was no way for him to make the meeting. In response, they ordered him to call Chandrakhan's number right in front of them. The officers in the room remained silent, their collective focus on the phone that was now ringing in the doctor's trembling hand. Hello? Chandra Khan's voice came through the line. Ja, we were supposed to meet today. Do you remember? For a brief moment, there was a static silence. Then came Chandra Khan's response. I'll see you tomorrow instead, 4 p.m. It was now the next day, May the 19th, 2007. As the clock ticked closer to 4pm, Inspector Singh and his team surrounded the clinic, all of them cloaked in clever disguises. Yet when the time came, there was no sign of Khan. Frustration was beginning to creep in, and the police were on the brink of calling off the operation. Then Inspector Singh began to examine the doctor's phone records. With the limitations of technology at the time, precise location tracking did not exist, but he did discern a pattern in Chandrakhan's calls. It was recorded that he would make several calls to a specific number located in Alipur, a 30-minute drive away from their current position. With renewed determination, the team decided to suspend their stakeout and reconvene the following day in Alipur. The next day, the team arrived in Alipur and fanned out across its alleyways. They discreetly engaged with the local residents, gently inquiring about the people of the area and their names. This was tough, as they were acutely aware that they couldn't divulge the true nature of their mission as a murder investigation. It was during this moment that the police station made a timely call to Inspector Singh, informing him to be on the lookout for a pushcart equipped with an engine, they had received news that Khan had owned such a vehicle. Understandably frustrated by the lack of concrete leads, Inspector Singh looked up and saw the countless pushcarts scattered across the city. Undeterred, he urgently contacted his colleague and relayed the information, instructing him to keep an eye out for a pushcart with an engine. To his astonishment, his colleague's response left him in utter disbelief. Turns out, he was already standing right in front of one. Immediately, the police stormed into the house adjacent to the park Pushkar and were taken aback when they saw the man himself, Chandrakhan Jha, casually sharing a meal with his children. According to the records, two traumatic incidents from Chandrakhan's youth continued to haunt him throughout his life. During his time in Delhi, he was relentlessly bullied, taunted, and attacked by others who singled him out for hailing from Bihar. This unrelenting hostility left him feeling like an outsider, marginalized by society. In 1986, Chandrakhan left school to become a vegetable hawker at the local market but he would always cross paths with a hawker supervisor named Pandit, who ruthlessly extorted money from the hawkers on behalf of the police. One day, in an act of defiance, Chandrakhan refused to yield to Pandit's oppressive demands, resulting in a violent altercation. During the struggle, Chandrakhan's vegetable knife had accidentally inflicted a wound upon Pandit's hand, sparking a cascade of consequences. Pandit, intent on vengeance, swiftly reported a false case against Chandrakhan to the police, leading to his arrest and a three-year incarceration. His time behind bars was marked by the harrowing torment inflicted by an officer named Balbir Singh, who subjected Chandrakhan to relentless physical and psychological abuse. He would strip Chandrakhan naked before his fellow inmates and ruthlessly beat him up. As Chandrakhan got older, he came to believe that violence was the only means of confronting those who had wronged him and the only way he would ever receive justice for what he had endured at the hands of others. While these stories evoke sadness and provide insight into his motivations, they do not excuse his actions. At the time of his arrest, the police had claimed that Chandrakhan was a psychopath as he enjoyed each of his killings. In fact, in one of his letters, Chandrakhan wrote, I openly and proudly admit the fact that I commit at least seven to eight murders in a year, no matter what. Otherwise, I begin to lose my mind. During the trial, the court described Chandra Khan's method of murder as extremely brutal, grotesque and diabolical, designed to evoke intense and profound indignation within the community. The court said, The mental and physical suffering inflicted on the victim before his death is immense. There is a significant degree on planning on the part of Chandrakhan while committing the murder. The judge went on to characterize Chandrakhan as a mission-oriented and task-oriented serial killer, driven by the sole motive of exposing, taunting and challenging the police. Furthermore, his threats to repeat his heinous deeds were indicative of a disturbing lack of remorse. In February of 2013, Chandrakhan Jha was found guilty on three counts of murder and ultimately received two death sentences and life imprisonment. After being in prison for three years, his death sentence was commuted to life imprisonment without the possibility of remission. In August of 2023, he was granted a 90-day parole for him to find a suitable groom for his daughter. Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast, is brought to you by MediaCorp and OneUp Media. This episode was produced and written by Guangjin, edited by Alex, narrated by Jason, audio experience by Ethan Sam, additional engineering by Ashley from OneUp Media. Special thanks to Executive Producer Danny Cordy from MediaCorp. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next one.